Thank you for your plans for the city of Atlanta. Now, Lord, this morning I'm asking you would release to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Release it on this house. God, I stand before you and I again contend in this city where my feet are planted. And I'm asking for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God to break in. I pray we'd have the knowledge of your will. We'd comprehend as the sons of Issachar, the times and the seasons in which we live, we'd hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And I stand before you, before all the angels of heaven and the demons, before the principalities over this city, and I declare Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm asking God for an opening in the Spirit, an understanding of the hour. God, let it rest on us. And I pray the word of the Lord would come to bear upon my soul, would come to bear upon our soul this morning. Lord, I ask, come and hold my hand. Let me proclaim as an oracle the word of the Lord. We are desperately in need of the word of the Lord. Now, Lord, I'm asking, thunder by your spirit to our heart what it is you're saying. Even Holy Spirit, you the great teacher, come and teach. You come and teach. You're the great teacher. Now come and teach. We thank you for your presence, Lord. Now I am grateful today, Lord. I am grateful to you today, Jesus. Oh, we are grateful in this community, God. We are grateful. We love you. We love to be loved by you. We love to love one another. We love to love the, the world, the lost. We love to love your church, God. We are grateful. Release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Release it this morning, I'm asking. Good. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Okay, if you would, let's turn together to Malachi chapter 3. And we have, we have a new plan We've got verses on the overheads. Look at that. So hopefully we can do this well. What I mean by do it well is not will they get the verses up, will I actually stay on target and actually preach from the verses I told them I was going to. We are in a series, a third part of a series this morning, um, talking about the forerunner mandate, preparing for the coming of the Lord, preparing our hearts preparing the church, preparing the earth for the coming of the Lord. And uh, Malachi 3 is one of those verses that gives us insight into what the Lord is planning for the end of this age. You know the Lord has an action plan. He has an action plan for the culmination of this age. And much of it is in the scripture. We see great detail of what God's action plan for the end of the age is laid out in, in the verses in the Bible. In fact, we need to get to the place where the book of Revelation for us is not something that we think of this as this great mystery, but we think of the book of Revelation as God's end time action plan. And uh, we need to not shy away from it or be fearful of it. We need to look at it and say, okay, Lord, now explain to me, and as I open my heart before you, explain to me what it is you're doing in the earth at the end of the age. And so in Malachi, we see the call from the prophet to be a people who will prepare and, and endure and stand in the day of the Lord's coming, in the time of his coming. So look at it in verse 1, Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. He will prepare the way. There's a messenger company. I believe there's an individual who was in a messenger. And I believe there's a messenger company that, that will come at the end of the age who will prepare the way of the Lord. They will prepare before the Lord. The earth and the people of the earth, they'll prepare their hearts. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant. Now that messenger is different than the first messenger. The first messenger is a uh, forerunner company, a forerunner messenger that prepares the way for Jesus, the ultimate messenger of the covenant of the Lord, the king of the ages. Even the messenger of the covenant, 
The one in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 2, this piercing question. We talked about it a little bit last week. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can endure the day of his coming? That, that, that question needs to hit our soul and ignite a, a fire in us. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Piercing questions from the prophet. The reason why he's got to ask it is because most people have no comprehension, even in that day when Malachi was prophesying, of what the return and the coming of the Lord would look like. And he, he says, it's the Lord whom you seek, the Lord in whom you delight. And he goes, but you don't know who it is you're seeking and you don't know who it is you're delighting because who can endure it when he comes? It's going to be intense. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And so what we, what we did last week, and I kind of just got up here and went, Wah! and exploded. I helped, I helped the evening guys. I just I honed it down a little bit and focused for them. But uh, last week we talked primarily about standing in his counsel from Jeremiah 23 as the answer to how you can stand when he appears. One who stands in his counsel now and hears his word and marks his word until his word marks you. That one will be able to stand in the day of his coming. And so there's several facets to standing. There's, we're, today we're going to specifically talk about standing without offense. Standing without offense before him. I think of standing and I think, okay, we stand in his counsel that we can stand before him when he comes. And, and we stand in his counsel that we would stand without offense before the Lord. And what, the, what I mean by standing without offense before the Lord is standing with a lifestyle that is not offensive to God. Standing with a lifestyle that's not offensive to God. There's two ways to stand without offense. One, standing with a lifestyle that's not offensive to God. And another, standing unoffended by God when he comes. And so uh, I, I think this, if Jesus in his first coming, if his, all of 12 of his closest guys were all offended by Jesus dying on the cross, what does that say about the manner of his second coming? If dying on the cross offended all the closest guys, what will it look like when he comes on a whirlwind and chariot of fire and his intention is to overthrow all the thrones of all the nations in a hostile takeover and take over the planet? And in the meanwhile, he's, he's slaying humans. He's slaying the nations as the conquering warrior king. If he was offensive in the lamb, as the lamb dying for the sin of the world, how, will he, how, how much more offensive will he be as the warrior king judging the nations for wickedness? So we have to stand without uh, being offensive to him, and we have to stand without being offended by him. Today I want to talk about standing without offense before him, be, without being offensive to him. So let's flip over to Philippians chapter 1. Let's look at this prayer from the Apostle Paul. These, these matters that I'm talking about, the forerunner mandate, the end of the age, the church prepared in the last generation, these are absolutely essential issues for the church in the earth in this hour. We may take multiple weeks and touch from different vantage points, these same ideas. There are so many facets, and here's the challenge, so little has been said about these thoughts. So little has been said about what it means to be a prepared people in the earth at the end of the age. And so this is, this is why we exist. And so we may, we may stay on these thoughts for quite some time. Philippians 1. 
Paul had such great affection for the Philippians. He said, I, I long for you with great brotherly affection. So in, in a heart that's trying to uh, enable uh, the church that he loves in Philippi to be ready, he prays this. He says, and this I pray in verse 9, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. In knowledge and all discernment. That's the knowledge of God. In the knowledge of God and all discernment of his ways. That's the idea there. That your love may abound still more and more. In knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense. Till the day of Christ. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense. Till the day of Christ. So immediately I see three things right there. He goes, that your love may abound, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you can be sincere without offense. And all three work in conjunction with each other. He goes, I'm praying that you would abound in love. He goes, I want your heart to explode in the love of God. It's the love of God for you. It's the love of God from you to God. And it's the love of God flowing through you to others. He goes, I want love to be an exploding reality that it would abound more and more in you. He goes, I want you to be alive in love. I want your heart to be abandoned in the love of God. I want you to know the way he thinks and feels his emotions and his affections for you. I pray that your hearts would would move with understanding and all knowledge and discernment of the way God thinks and feels about you. That your love would abound. He goes, I, it's the central issue. He goes, it's the central issue. That your love would abound more and more. He goes, that you would approve the things that are excellent. See, approving the things that are excellent has everything to do with embracing righteousness and rejecting wickedness. Embracing God's ways and rejecting the enemy's ways. In Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus said in the last days, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. When wickedness abounds in the earth at the end of the age, the love of many will grow cold. Well, Paul is praying the exact opposite. He's calling the church to abound in love that they would not embrace lawlessness and wickedness. He's calling them to fall in love with God, do the first and the second commandment, and reject lawlessness. Love growing cold, this thing that Jesus said, it's it's actually the entryway to apostasy. When the heart grows cold, it embraces lawlessness. When the heart is alive in love, it rejects lawlessness. At the end of the age, the love of many will grow cold, and they will fall into lawlessness, and that leads to apostasy. And so he wants us to embrace the things that are excellent, approve and embrace the excellent things, which is righteousness and the will and the way of God. That's the excellent things, the excellent way. And in doing that, we will disapprove of the things that are not excellent. We'll disapprove of of wickedness and lawlessness in the earth. And the issue is the love of God. We don't approve of the excellent and reject the wicked because it's on a list in front of us. We approve the excellent, we approve righteousness, and we uh, reject unrighteousness because we're in love with him. That, beloved, that core point is so essential for us to get. We approve righteousness and we reject wickedness Because we love God. Not because there's a list of rules. Not because it's frowned upon in the social circles of Christian communities. We reject wickedness. And we embrace righteousness. We approve the excellent and we disapprove of of unrighteousness. Because we abound in love. The love of God, it controls us. It constrains us. And it compels us. And that's what Paul is praying, is I want you to abound in love and approve the excellent thing so this, 
so you can be sincere and without offense in the day of Christ. And that means, that means to not be an offense to him. Jesus said to Peter, he said, you're an offense to me, Peter. Your mind is not on the will and the way of God. Peter said, don't be, don't be crucified, Lord. Not so, it won't happen to you. He goes, you're an offense to me, Peter. You can actually be an offense to the Lord. The key issue is abounding in love, approving righteousness, disapproving of wickedness, so that we can be without offense. It says that you would be sincere. I love that word. There's a couple different words that mean the same, they give us the same analogy in the New Testament. And this, this word sincere is one of them. Sincere, it means tested by light. I love it. Tested by light. And, and the image is this. First century sculptor. He's sculpting the deal and he, he messes up. So what he would do is he would get wax, put the wax on the sculpture, and then he would take some of the, the, the dust and some of the mortar and he would cover that wax over and smooth it over to make the imperfections look like they weren't there. Well, the thing was, you could take that sculpture and hold it up to the light and then you could see where the imperfections were. He says, I want you to be sincere. He goes, I want you to be one that's tested by light. One that is shown to be everything inside that you appear to be on the outside. I love that. There's another word. It's a similar word, sincere, and it means without wax. And it's the exact same, exact same uh, concept, without wax, tested by light. He goes, I want you to be tested by light. That's the way we live in this age. Tested by light. We fall in love with him. We, we embrace righteousness. We reject wickedness. That we be sincere. Tested by light. And not an offense to him in the day that he comes. And so this is what Paul's praying. He's, he's, he's going, I want you to be uh, without offense and, and not offensive to the Lord. And it's exactly the same thing that David prayed in Psalm 139. You can just write it down. I'll read it. Psalm 139, he says this. Search me, O God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, we, we can be without offense to the Lord. We can actually be approving of righteousness, abounding in love unto, unto approving of righteousness, and actually be a people that are without offense to the Lord in the day that he comes. Come on. That's what the bride is to be at the end of the age. Now here's the thing. People, most, many, I'll just say many, many in the earth, and and I'd say many in the church, we don't understand how offensive sin really is. We don't get a picture of the vileness of sin. Somebody might say, what do you mean be an offense to Jesus? I mean, why would Jesus be offended with people? He knows our frame. He knows we're, we're but dust. I mean, he's going to expect people to be sinful. Well, well yes, but he's also going to expect people to reject sin and approve of the excellent way and approve of righteousness. And, the, and the, the, what, what is going on right now, I think, in a lot of different circles is this, is that people, um, they don't understand the vileness of sin. They don't understand the utter wickedness of sin, of practicing sin, they think that in the scriptures the severity of sin is exaggerated. And they basically just, they just think sin's not as bad as people have made it out to be. And uh, the thing about it is, is this. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Sin is utterly sinful. It's utterly wicked. It's, it's utterly vile. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if your right hand, if it offends you, cut it off. He's not talking about mutilating yourself, but he's giving us a, a, an incredible image of how ruthlessly we are to deal with sin in this age. He goes, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. He goes, it would be better for you to enter into life in the next age 
maimed from this age, because you're going to get it all back in that age anyway, than to go through life in sin, because that is so vile. He goes, you've got to deal with it ruthlessly. Jesus is intense about uh, calling his people to righteous living. And I think that right now that there's a, there's basically a wrong mentality about the severity of sin. People don't think that, uh, you know, sin is as vile as it is. And therefore they think if God judges sin, that God is being excessive in judgment. The concept of God coming back to judge the earth because of wickedness is so far off of uh, most people's grid because they just don't think sin is that bad. They're, therefore, they think any, any kind of you know, God that would do judgment, that's an excessive concept of who God is. And the problem is this. They don't have any real understanding of the wickedness of sin, and they don't have any real understanding of the truth of the knowledge of who God is. And beloved, we've got to become a people who love the God who brings judgment. We've got to be a people who love that God. That are, we've fallen in love with that God. There, there are people right now, this is a trend that are, uh, they are d- getting away with hell. They're not, not getting away with hell. They're doing away. They're getting away with hell. Look out. They're doing away with the concept of hell in, in Christian teaching. Because they think that hell is such an overdone idea. And what they don't understand is the vileness of sin and the truth of the God of justice he will not allow the unpunished to go without pun- uh, the, the, the wicked to go unpunished. And so they don't understand God, and they don't understand God's reason for judgment. And here's the deal. If men are allowed to go uh, unchecked in sin, if men are allowed to just to do whatever they want to do in sin, they will completely destroy themselves. Sin, unchecked, is a cancer that will completely corrupt and corrode the human race. And what we see in society right now is a, it's a massive movement toward just allow people to do whatever they want to do so long as it doesn't affect you. And that, my friends, that, beloved, is the, the Antichrist spirit trying to say we shouldn't have any kind of checks on sin, But sin allowed to go without any kind of check, it will ultimately destroy people. And here's the thing. God, he actually checks sin because he's kind. He actually releases judgment because he's good. I'll say that again. He releases judgment because he's good. Because he doesn't want men to destroy themselves in sin, God will step in the way and release judgment on wickedness. Why? To stop men from running headlong into destruction. God is good, therefore he must release judgment. That's a very unpopular concept. Just say that really... Half the time, beloved, on this... This and many of the series that I preach, but for sure on this one, half the time, what I'm actually doing is I'm actually preaching into the atmosphere. (laughs) I'm doing spiritual warfare and trying to get some concepts up in the spirit and open a few things up in the spirit. God is good, therefore he must release judgment. Because he's good, he will check sin and bring an end to sin by judgment events. People don't understand God in judgment. They don't have a picture of God that does judgment. And, and, and for sure not in the church. And here's the thing. We don't, we don't not just have a palette for the God that does judgment. We do not want to ever say that there's a judgment event happening in the earth. Think about how unpopular that is when there's a, a tragedy of some sort happening. Some, maybe one of the hurricanes or, or the 9-11 for instance. When, you, when, when 9-11 happened, you had several ministers stand up and say it was the judgment of God. And there was such a nasty public outcry, several of them pulled back and said, I was wrong. It wasn't God's judgment. And because of the fear of reprisals from men, people are afraid to actually say God does judgment. But I want to tell you something. God does judgment, and he's not insecure He's not doing it because he's worried about man. 
He's doing it because he's good. He's not worried about, you know, wickedness taking over. He's doing it because he's good, and he's intervening in men's lives to stop him from, uh, from going into sin and taking sin to its ultimate end in destruction. Now think about the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Tower of Babel, people mostly teach it this way. Think about this. They think because the people were united and they were building this tower up to heaven, God was worried about man taking over, so he had to smite them. Because, you know, the scripture says they were in unity and they, the, the Lord says they could, nothing will be withheld from them. Let me tell you something. God is not insecure in terms of his position compared to where man is. God uh, smote the Tower of Babel and he confused the languages as a, as a stroke of mercy. The, the, the nothing that would be withheld from them is there's nothing in wickedness that they would stop from doing because they're united in their sin. Let me tell you something. God was not intimidated by an 11-story uh, mud hut. Not at all. He wasn't like, oh man, they're really getting tall now. We're going to have to confuse them. Nothing. They're not, they're, they're not going to stop at anything if they can build this mud hut. No. The thing that he wanted to stop them from doing was destroying themselves in sin. So he confuses their language. Because nothing will be withheld from them. Nothing that their wicked hearts set out to do will be, will, will be stopped unless I come in and judge them in my mercy. Tower of Babel, the city Babylon, was founded by this guy named Nimrod. Amazing, but Nimrod, he is the founder of Babylon and he's the founder of Assyria. Two of the key uh, beast cities that end up attacking uh, Israel later. Really, really interesting. He's the same guy as the founder. He's a really interesting picture of Antichrist. So Nimrod, this, this this Antichrist prefigure, he's the founder of Babylon and he's the founder of Assyria. Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. I just wanted to put that out there in, in your mind. Now, here's the thing I'm trying to say about sin and judgment and all this, and I'm setting us up for a picture. But we have not only got to believe in the God that does judgment, we've got to fall in love with the God that does judgment. We've got to fall in love with him. And we've got to agree with him when he releases judgment. And we've got to get to the place where we, we have our heart so turned to the Lord and our mind so open to what God is doing that we're, we're able to, with all discernment and knowledge and all discernment, we're able to say, that's the hand of the Lord releasing that judgment event in the earth and not shy away from it and fear the reprisals of men. We have got to partner with him in judgment, beloved. That's who we're to be. Ones that will prepare the way of the Lord. Let me tell you something. When he's coming back, he's coming back as what? The judge. People that will prepare the way are going to partner with him in that. And that's who the church is called to be. Now, let's take a look at Revelation 9. Revelation 9. I'm talking about the wickedness of sin and God's necessity to judge it. And I want to talk about sin in the uh, earth at the end of the age. Because ultimately we're talking about preparing our hearts to be uh, not offensive to Jesus. So that means we've got to get a picture of this whole issue of sin. Revelation 9, I've stared at these verses for some years now. And I've got to admit, when I first looked at them, I thought they were kind of dull. They were brought to my attention by, by a friend. And I looked at them and I said, eh, I don't see much there. And the more that I've looked at these verses, Revelation 9, 20 and 21, I mean, I, I'm seeing them in such a different light. I see these as four, they, they illustrate for us four pillars of the, the Antichrist spirit in the earth. Let's just look at this, verse 20. Now, I want to give you just a little context. What's happened here is this. Seven judgment events called the seals have been released on the earth. You find those in Revelation 6. And you find the seventh one in Revelation 8. And then, six more judgment events called the trumpets. You find those in Revelation 8 and Revelation 9. They have been released. 
And we are probably, at, at, well, when this statement is being made, this is, we're probably uh, right towards the end of the Great Tribulation, maybe, maybe three, just, just over three years in, three years and three months in. We're really, really far into the Great Tribulation. And the statement is, the rest of, oh, the, the other point is when it says the rest of mankind, it's what happened is so severe the last three and a half years, 50% of the planet has died. Okay? This is where we're at in the timeline of what's going on at the end of the age. The book of Revelation, it gives us the action plan of what's going to unfold in real clear detail. We need to not shy back from it. We really need to get it. I'm excited because we're going to offer a class at the, at the beginning of the year on the book of Revelation. We're really going to go after it. But uh, it says this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the works of their hands. So there's a group that's left on the earth. They don't die in that 50% that die. And this, the vast majority, the rest, they do not repent of the works of their hands. And the works of their hands, well, they're identified in verse 21. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexuality, or their thefts. That tells you the, the specific things that they did not repent of. The murder, the sorcery, the sexual immorality, and their thefts. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you go back to verse 20 and you see that comment, they did not, comma, they did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should. You could put there, which led them to. Because the works of their hands are what ultimately led them to Worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Here's what this is a picture of. Here's what this is a picture of. Four chief sins at the end of the age, which led men, which will lead men, to demon worship. And that's a picture of worshiping uh, the beast, Antichrist. Whenever we say the beast, we mean Antichrist. Whenever we say Antichrist, we mean the beast. They have four chief sins that they practice that lead them to worshiping demons, worshiping Antichrist. This is, this is what's coming on the planet. Four pillars of wickedness that will ultimately lead to the worship of the devil through this man, Antichrist. Okay? And you look at these four sins and you go, huh, murder, sorcery, okay, I'm not killing anybody, I'm not sorcerizing, whatever that is, uh, sexual immorality, okay, theft, don't steal anything. You go, yeah, I'm good. But what we don't understand is that these uh, titles have a much broader, uh, there's a much broader and general group that these sins represent. Murder has at its root the issue of hatred. Hatred. Disgust for other people groups. Disgust for others that are not like yourself. Hatred. Sorcery has at its root the issue of false religion. False religion. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. Very clear. All sorts of different expressions of it in the earth. And theft, that was the one that always threw me because I was like, theft. Okay, so you're telling me one of the four big ones at the end of the age is theft? Like that makes no sense to my mind until I take a look at 1 Timothy 6, which says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I realize the reason somebody's thieving is because they have a heart of greed rooted in the love of money. And that one, to me, is actually the big one. <laughs> Theft is the issue of greed in the heart. Greed in the heart. So when you, when you break these four down, you go hatred, false religion, sexual immorality, and greed. These are the four chief sins at the end of the age. And I want to say this. These four sins, they constitute the four 
pillars of what we know as the Babylonian harlot system. I'm going to explain the Babylonian harlot system just a little bit. But these are the four chief sins of the Babylonian harlot system. Now, Revelation 17.5, it identifies the Babylonian harlot as the mother of all abominations. The mother of all abominations. Revelation 17.5. She's the mother of harlots and the mother of all abominations. That's what it says. She's a mystery. And this Babylonian system, in other words, being the mother of abominations, what that means is this. The Babylonian system, the influence of that system in the earth, it's responsible for every abomination, every sin that's ever taken place in the earth. Through her influence, she is the birthing, this Babylonian harlot system, the birthing of all the abominations that have taken place on the planet, beginning with the first murder, Cain, slaying his brother Abel. And so we see her in Revelation 17. You can go back and look at it later, but she's drunk. She's drunk, this woman. She's arrayed in fine clothes and jewelry. She's drunk. She's holding a cup of abominations, and it shows her as this drunken harlot and she's drinking this cup, and in the cup it says she's drunk on the blood of the saints. She's drunk on the blood of the saints. And so the spirit of Babylon is responsible for every martyrdom that's taken place ever in the earth. The spirit of Babylon, this harlot system, it's not something that's just going to come up at the end of the age because she is the mother of all abominations. So that takes us to the beginning of creation until the end of the age, the Babylonian harlot. She is the mother of all the abominations all the way from the beginning, uh, first murder with Cain, all the way. So she's drunk on the blood of the saints and the martyrs. Every saint and every martyr that's ever shed their blood for Jesus all throughout the ages, the prophets of old to martyrs that are getting martyred right now, they're all being slain because of the influence of this harlot Babylon in the earth. It doesn't even, it it doesn't stop there. It says she's drunk on the blood of the saints and she is, uh, in her are all the the blood, uh, in her is all the blood of those who have ever been slain in the earth. Every murder. Every murder is because of the influence of this Babylonian harlot system. Now here's the deal. Let me explain this to you. The Babylonian harlot at the end of the age, it will literally be a city. There will be a city, a Babylon city. It will be a power base of wickedness in the end of the age. And then it is also a system. That's why it's a mystery. It's a city and a system. And the system is an influence that we feel in the earth. And so it's a literal city and a figurative system. It's a system that's been around since the beginning, since the fall of man. And here's the deal. We feel the influence of the system in our society right now. We feel it. It's very alluring, It draws us in, and basically, most of what comes across as normal in the earth today, as accepted by the masses in society, is the influence of the Babylonian harlot system. Now, here's the deal. In Revelation, this is, it's just just phenomenal. In Revelation 17, when this harlot is pictured, arrayed in purple and fine gold, and drinking this cup, drunk on the blood of saints, she's pictured riding the beast. And so that gives us this this, uh, image of the beast supporting her and carrying her. In other words, Antichrist is supporting her and carrying her. That, That picture what it's telling us is this, that the Babylonian system in the, in the earth is supported by the spirit of Antichrist. It is the spirit of Antichrist. They're, they're one and the same reality. The Babylonian harlot system is being supported by the spirit of Antichrist. Now here's what's going to go on, beloved. At the end of the age, Antichrist, he's going to actually take over the Babylonian system and the city. And what he'll do is, he will rebrand it, 
And literally overnight, he will absorb all the economics because it's going to be an economic system. It's going to restore, uh, uh, he's going to absorb all the political power because it's a political system. He's going to absorb all the religious features of it because it's a religious system. He's going to absorb it all. He will rebrand it. He's going to, in other words, he's going to change the marketing strategy and no longer will it be Babylon that the, that the, the Bible says all the kings of the earth will be connected to. It will be the beast. He's going to rebrand the Babylonian system and he's going to make it beast worship. And so what I'm trying to say is this. This system, this harlot Babylon system that's been in the earth since the fall of man, that we've seen expressed in society all through the ages, that's being carried by the spirit of Antichrist in the earth, at the end of the age, it is a full-blown setup for beast worship and the worship of Satan. Those four chief sins, false religion, greed, murder or hatred and sexual immorality they are the pillars of the, ba- the, the Babylonian system men at the end of the age will have experienced massive judgment but instead of repenting at judgment they will hold on to their sin unto worshiping the devil now here's the thing the influence gotta hear me the influence of Babylon is in the earth right now now, it has been since the beginning. We see the Babylonian influence in our culture in all sorts of different ways. And I, I want to just, I'm going to dial in right now and bring this to a point. We can see those four chief sins in our culture, the Babylonian four chief sins, Babylonian harlot, fourth chief sins. We see them in, in unique ways in our culture. The false religion aspect, that pillar, in our culture today, it's religious pluralism. Religious pluralism. Religious pluralism is the idea that says that all paths lead to God. That God is the God over all religions. Religious pluralism. That there isn't one way that leads to God. Now Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. But right now in the earth, in in multiple religions, there is a massive movement away from uh, dogmatism and orthodoxy and towards pluralism and openness and embracing Everybody, because they worship God. In fact, in the church, there is, I believe, it's a counterfeit Christian reality. And it's, you can go in the Christian bookstores, you can get the books, and, and you, can, you can hear this in, in all sorts of different ways in, in, the, in the body right now. But I believe it's a counterfeit Christian reality. It's gaining a lot of momentum, and it's seeking to redefine the orthodoxies of Christianity. It's really alluring. It's really drawing in the postmodern crowd. The, the younger generations are really into it. And the idea is this. It de-emphasizes the blood of Christ. It de-emphasizes the need for repentance of sin. It de-emphasizes the severity of hell. It de-emphasizes the, the uh, reality of the coming kingdom. The message of the cross is de-emphasized as something that's overdone. And what it emphasizes are friendship and community and openness. Religious pluralism. And there's a massive movement in the body of Christ. And I want to say this. I just really want to be clear. If we water down the gospel... If we dumb it down to make it more palatable to the masses, what we're doing is we are moving in conjunction with the Babylonian harlot system, and it's ultimately a setup for apostasy and beast worship at the end of the age. And I want to tell you something right now in the earth, 
as God's calling forth forerunners to prepare the way, there is a counterfeit forerunner reality that's preparing the way for Antichrist through the Babylonian harlot system in the earth. And this is massive in, in religious circles. And religious pluralism is the, it's the cornerstone of it. Secondly, the sexual immorality feature, what we see it as in, in the earth right now, I'm talking about the influence of Babylon in the earth today. First, religious pluralism. Secondly, sexual tolerance. Sexual tolerance. Here's the deal. Homosexuality is now considered an alternate lifestyle. And that's not just in our nation. That's around the earth. When I was in Germany a few years back, I was talking to this guy about politics. And, and he was just a random guy. I was sitting in, in, a, in a cafe talking to him. And uh, we were talking, and I started talking about the Lord and things, and, and we were talking about politics. And he, sa- he just kind of said this to me. Just re- he was really educated. He said, you, he goes, what's really wrong with you Americans? He goes, why don't you get it? People that love each other should be allowed to be married. He goes, why do you not embrace homosexuals and allow them to be married? He goes, what's wrong with you? It wasn't the idea that he was even sort of lobbying from the, hey, come on, I've got a new thought. He was like, you are so behind the rest of, you know, progress in the earth. And, and, and the idea is, you are so intolerant. So they brand you as intolerant if you don't embrace homosexuality. So homosexuality it's become an alternate lifestyle in, in our nation, in the nations of the earth. Two of our states uh, have legalized homosexual marriage. Here's the thing. The porn industry is a multi-billion dollar industry globally. Human trafficking and sex slave uh, trade in some cities in the earth, there are, there are strongholds in some cities where it is the main economic uh, resource for the entire city. We've got it in our media. We've got it, uh, homosexuality and perversion. Uh, it's uh, promoted through our entertainment. But, but even worse than that, homosexuality and the, the homosexual agenda, it's actually um, emphasized and promoted by our politicians and our ma- major businesses. If you go to any of the gay pride events, which I've been to several of them to, to love on and minister to people that are caught in homosexuality, you will see massive, massive ads from Bell South, AT&T. You'll see Coca-Cola. You'll see the major businesses in our city promoting the homosexual agenda with uh, thousands of dollars of advertising. And they actually have homosexual-specific advertising where they'll show a man and a man or a woman and a woman uh, in their ads. Religious pluralism and then sexual tolerance. And anything that's intolerant of quote-unquote alternative lifestyles, you're just, you're just out. I want to say this. It is not okay that we've got uh, this uh, flow, this sway in the society to embrace sexual perversion in the level that it's embraced. Amongst our young right now, uh, if you have... Uh, a sexual relationship, that's just normal. Losing your virginity uh, you know, by somebody that's not married, that's just considered normal when you're 15 or 16. Beloved, this is not okay. This is not okay. Uh, extramarital affairs are considered normal unless you're a minister or in uh, the public office. No one even bats an eye at it. This is not okay. This is the influence of Babylon. Sexual tolerance. Thirdly, greed. Greed. See, greed is seen in our society as the need for economic security. The need for economic security. Most people, many people, I just many, in the name of economic security, they will jeopardize all of their moral standards. They will cross the line on what they believe to be true if you're promised to benefit economically. So they will throw away, you know, all the 
the standards that they have in righteousness in God, if it means they're going to be, uh, you know, somehow profited financially. I'm looking at the status of that, and I'm looking at the status of the church, and I'm considering this. You know, we just had the election, and I had a conversation. It's just, it continues to echo in my mind with a, a sister in the Lord who I love. And, and I said, you know, who are you going to vote for? And she said, Obama. And I said, okay. I said, what do you think about his position on abortion? And she said, well, I just know that, you know, people like me, we need help, and we need a little more money, and I need a tax break. And so the issue on abortion, people need to choose that on their own. Nobody's forcing them to have abortions. But for me, this is going to help me more. Now, did you hear that? This is going to help me more by getting a little bit of money. And therefore, I'm, I'm not going to vote to stop abortion. I'm going to vote for a little bit more money in my pocket. Economic security, beloved, when it comes down to this, when it comes down to you cannot buy or sell unless you receive a mark, all of these little hurdles that we've gone through, through years and years of, you know, going, uh, we go against our, our, our standards in our heart and we, we choose the money, doing that for years and years and years, when it comes down to you won't be able to buy or sell unless you receive a mark. We'll have already gotten there in our hearts. It'll be the easiest thing to do. Well, they, you know, they told me I was going to take my, they're, they're going to take my bank account away. So, I mean, surely God wouldn't want my children to go hungry. You see it? You see the setup? And then finally, hatred. And see, hatred Right now, the way that we're seeing it, well, we're seeing it all across the earth in, th- in, in genocide ways where uh, people are, are rising against each other for, for uh, you know, differences in race and, and we're seeing massive um, genocide in the earth like we've never seen ever in the history of humankind, ever. But in pop culture, we're seeing hatred as uh, it's, it's, uh, it's contempt. Contempt for holiness. Sometime you ought to go on CNN or on USA Today on the, web, on the website and you should read through the articles, any article about any of the morality issues. Any of the articles that talk about, you know, abortion or anything about Christianity. There's some stuff out there right now about, you know, uh, uh, in, in Washington, some atheists put a sign out right next to a, um, a manger scene and a, and a government uh, building, and you should read the comments that come from people when they don't have anybody to, to keep them accountable. Because there is a massive, massive undercurrent of contempt for righteousness. Anybody in our society that will say, this is righteous and that is wicked, they are seen as, you know, completely closed-minded, intolerant, and that's politi- we call it politically incorrect. And so in the name of political correctness, there is this growing boil of, of uh, you know, contempt and hatred for anything that's righteous. They'll accept anybody so long as they don't have one truth. They'll accept anything so long as it's, you know, open-minded. Hatred, you know, we showed the video a couple weeks ago. With the, uh, with the homosexuals just berating our friends in San Francisco, and I just want to be clear, we don't hate homosexuals, we love homosexuals. We, we love them and we're believing God for a break-in of power in the homosexual community and, and light and, and revelation and liberty to come. We love uh, homosexual people, we love them. We, we don't like their sin, and I can really say that because we really do love them. But... Uh, you see the, the Christians are out there just trying to love Jesus. They didn't even do anything. And they're being yelled at and they're being called haters. They're being called haters. Do you see how it turns? The contempt is for anybody who's not tolerant. Anybody who's not open-minded. Anybody who has a standard of righteousness. There's massive contempt in the society for that. Of it in a day ahead, I tell you this is the way it's going to look. The Christians will be saying, no, we must pick righteousness. 
And the harlot system will be, you know, drowning the earth and the four chief sins. And finally, they'll be like this. They'll be saying, those Christians, they're never okay with anybody except themselves. They're so narrow-minded and so intolerant, we've got to get rid of them. Here's the deal. Revelation 18.4. I just want to turn over there and we'll land. The Babylonian harlot system and its influence is heavy duty in the earth right now. And beloved, it's heavy duty in the church. You know how I know? Just take any Christian leader and put them on Larry King and see what they actually say. Because that, when we're in front of the masses, that's the litmus of actually what's, what's really in our heart. And that influence, that sway, and that, that you know, uh, move of, of influence against the church to proclaim truth and just to stay on truth, it's so unpopular uh, in the public eye that you, you get good men, put them in the public eye on the media, and they can't even say, Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Revelation 18.4. This phrase shows up over and over and over in the scriptures. It says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Three points. He goes, come out of her, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive the same judgments that are going to come on her. And the issue is this. Most believers would say, well, I'm not under the sway of the Babylonian system. But we see the influence of it in a very, uh, it's a very doled down sort of way in the earth right now through things like religious pluralism and intolerance and sexuality and things like that. And I tell you, I think that more and more there's, there's going to be a dividing line. The gray areas are going to be erased and there's going to be this, this place where either you are tolerant or you're one of those guys that are just not but the guys that are just not are going to have to stay on the truth and proclaim the truth because truth is what's going to navigate us through the end of the age. And so the issue becomes this, either come out of her or share in with her. That's what he's saying. Come out of her or share in with her. And if you share in with her, ultimately, you will share in her judgment. That's what he's saying. And I look at this, and this makes me tremble, because this is not simply about practicing those sins. This is about tolerating those sins. Sharing in those sins. In Revelation 2.20, you can just write it down. Jesus says that those who tolerate sins are the exact same as those who practice the sins. In Romans 1, it says this. It says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, verse 28, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And they were filled with all unrighteousness. You skip down to verse 32 because he gives us a list of all these different sins. It says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. And see, here's what we've got to get, beloved. We've got to get this. That tolerance and approval of sin is the same as practicing and partaking of it. We've got to get that. If we are tolerating the Babylonian harlot right now in our lives in any way, we are doing the same as practicing and participating in it. And I look at the entertainment industry. And I think this is the most brilliant idea of the enemy ever. Because you can sit there and you don't have to lift one finger in the flesh. But you can sit there and participate in adultery by just watching it. You can practice homosexuality by loving that sitcom. And what's even, I mean, just even more intense, you'll rejoice in it. You'll laugh at the gay jokes. You'll, you know, you'll look at the, the, the movie 
And it doesn't have the sex scene, but it's got the unmarried couple. And, you know, the romantic comedy by the end, they hook up. And, man, we feel good that they finally, you know, worked out all their problems and they got together at the end of the movie. Beloved, they just fornicated, and me and you are smiling about it. What a brilliant idea of the enemy. He can get Christians, he can get the earth to agree and to not just tolerate, but to participate in sexual perversion And they don't actually have to lift one finger in the flesh. They can do it all in the arena of their mind by viewing it on a TV or on a movie screen. Man, amen! And that's real. Resisting the sway now has everything to do with standing without offense before him in that day. I just want to read Ephesians 6. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, do what? Take up the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God, that's truth, righteousness, salvation, the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and praying all times. The whole armor of God, it's not physical armor, they're life standards. Truth, and righteousness, and salvation, and the gospel. And the word and prayer, they're life standards that you just don't get off of. He goes, take up the whole armor. What? What? That you may be able to withstand when? In the evil day. That's not just any evil day. That's the end of the age. Amazing. Amazing. That spiritual warfare verse that we've loved and embraced for so many years, it's actually about standing firm in the great tribulation. By having some non-negotiable heart standards rooted in truth and in righteousness, salvation, the gospel, prayer, fasting, the word of God. You stand firm in those things where? In the counsels of God. What? That you can stand in the evil day. You approve the things that are excellent now and you reject the things that are not excellent. You reject unrighteousness. Why? So you can stand in the evil day. And my cry out, my call, and my cry right now is about this. Are we participating in the Babylonian harlot system in any way right now? Are we participating in it in any way? And I'm not trying to put that on you as a legalistic thing. I'm saying we abound in love, so we reject wickedness. But we have got to, as a people, take inventory and take a look at this thing and go, okay, listen. That's a setup for Antichrist, for sure. So, am I participating, tolerating, approving? In any way in my heart right now. We, we, we really have got to get ruthless. She could stand without offense till the day of Christ. The idea about being forerunners at the end of the age, I promise you, it doesn't come without holiness. It doesn't come without purity of heart without which no man will see God. We've got to see the influence of the enemy in the earth right now and perceive how he's setting up the earth to embrace Antichrist at the end of the age. We've got to reject that influence, sway of the Babylonian harlot. We've got to reject that system of influence and embrace and approve of righteousness in every facet of our lives. That's where we've got to live. I'm not putting legalism on us. I'm calling us to a standard in righteousness that doesn't cut the corners on sin. And so it, it demands us to take inventory of our, of our entertainment, for sure. Because I look at the entertainment thing and I think, man, that is, man, that's the, that's the brilliant way for the enemy to, to change the mind. He's, he's able to indoctrinate the mind through the media through the movies, through the TV shows, through the news and the politics, and just he's able to move the mind, which ultimately moves the heart and moves the life. The question becomes, are we tolerating and sharing in these sins now? If we're lazy or sloppy, flippant with sin and, and sloppy with grace right now, I promise you, beloved, we are set up for apostasy at the end of the age. We've got to be a forerunner people that resist those things, I mean, firmly and stand in this hour that we can withstand in the evil day. Amen. Let's stand. I just feel better getting that out.
just if you just say before the Lord, if you just say, you know what? I, I, I see it. I see it in my life. I see tolerance. Through, maybe it's through the media, the entertainment. You see it through the way you live. Maybe it's your conversations. Maybe it's the sway of greed. Economic prosperity. Maybe it's just the influence of lust for things. I'd really love there to be a holiday season we actually gave so we could give. So maybe you see it in your life and you go, you know what, Lord, I see that. I believe the Lord's releasing grace right now to, to do the Revelation 18.4 to come out, to come out of her. I believe the Holy Spirit is illuminating areas right now in all of our lives because ultimately it boils down to this how do we spend our time how do we spend our money and how are we raising our children to be a 400 people we're going to have to alter how we do this especially in this culture that's possessed with the Babylonian system so if you'd, if you'd say you know what I, there are areas I feel like the Lord's putting my, his finger on in my life I want to reject those areas. I want to approve of that which is excellent. And I want to disapprove of that which is not excellent. I just want you to raise your hands before the Lord. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Lord, I'm asking for grace. Asking for mercy, God. We wouldn't share in her sins, share in her plagues. Release grace, God. Release grace. We reject the harlot and we reject that system and we embrace righteousness. We embrace the way and the will of the Lord. We want to love righteousness hate wickedness God God we want to be the bride that you're raising up and not a part of the harlot that the enemy is raising up come spirit of God right now release a cleansing and a purging release a cleansing and a purging right now